In fifth grade, a kid named Robert Taylor, he'd been held back a couple of years, much more mature fifth grader than myself, I'll put it that way. At some point, Robert thought that I liked his girlfriend and that his girlfriend liked me, and that wasn't true. I promise you that was not true at all. But he vowed to really hurt me for this. And it just so happened that every day, as his class would come into the lunchroom, remember this is fifth grade, my class was already seated eating lunch. And he made it a point to walk by me and sort of stare me down. Just try to scare me at lunch. Now, looking back, I don't know why. I was just a rule follower. I don't know why I didn't just handle this myself and, uh, you know, say, let's meet at the playground today, buddy. I didn't do that. And I just kind of sat there in terror, not wanting to get in trouble, not wanting to fight this guy that was already very mature, as I said before. I was still just a scrawny little fifth grader. I sat in terror every day until one day, my friend Jeff Thomas, now I'm using their first and last names and they follow me on Facebook, so they may be listening to this sermon one day, but Jeff finally said to Robert, you know, enough is enough, this is stupid, and I'll fight you, let's me and you fight. Now he was very scared of Jeff because he was also older and mature, uh, held back also, this is the education system that I grew up in. But, but Robert was very scared of him and said, no, okay, I'll leave him alone. And so the deal was over, right? Like, I can go to school at, with peace every day, not worried about this guy having to fight this guy, or he's going to beat me up for liking his girlfriend. I don't have to worry about this. Well, my fears went from, am I scared of Robert, to now all of a sudden, I have to make sure that Jeff really likes me. He's kind of my bodyguard at school, and i got to make sure that we are really close friends. And I remember every day on the way to school being scared and praying, man, I hope Jeff's really at school today. I hope Robert's not there. I hope he's sick. I hope he's at home. And just living in this fear back and forth. And the reality is many of you are living in the same kind of fear today. And the peace that you have, even in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is lived out in that way. You know, God was really upset with me for my sin, but Jesus stepped in and he's kind of talked the Father out of it. But now I got to make sure Jesus and I are tight. Now I got to make sure that I'm really close to Jesus to have peace with God. And the peace that you have with God is fragile. And you choose to wake up every day living in such fragile peace. When this section of Colossians, Paul declares to us the peace of the gospel is not fragile at all. It's real flesh and blood peace that you can live with day in and day out before God. It is eternal peace with God that is anchored Not in you, and not in your circumstances, and not in your fears, but in the supremacy of Christ in all things. Jesus is the one who is supreme above all of your fears, even your fear of sin and death. And so you can have peace in Him. 
You can have peace with God. Last week, we talked about the way in which God created, or a few weeks ago, the way God created the world through His Word. And when God created the world through His Word, the world was made good. And it was submitted to His authority. And so there was peace in the beginning before sin. And then Satan invades the world and he attacks the Word of God. And Adam believes Satan's lies. And he doubts God's goodness in light of His Word. He rebels against God's rule through His Word. When sin comes into the world, God curses the world with death. He, in some sense, removes His rule to an extent. And the goodness and life and peace that was known through His rule, through His Word, is missing in the world. And there is chaos. And there is destruction. And there is sin. Even creation itself groans for the rule of God. And so there is war. There is chaos. There is natural disaster. There are Wars and battles being raged in the darkness, the cosmic realm around us. Everything is at chaos because the rule of God has been removed by God Himself to some extent, and He allows the chaos. God has said, if you want to live without me, here you go. And the goodness that comes from His presence is removed. But we saw... There is a new creation coming. There is a new rule coming. As we looked at verses 19 and 20 on the cross, Jesus dies for sin so that this curse of death in the world can be lifted. In all things, creation, all things, men and women who are sinners can be reconciled to God, can find peace with God through the cross of Christ and enter in to this new creation that is coming where God's word and his rule will be fully manifested and the world will be covered with the glory of Christ as the waters cover the sea and there will be peace. There will be peace whereas of now things rage against God. And so how do you know this peace? How do you live in this peace that is coming? Well, first of all, you have to understand that apart from Christ, you are an enemy of God. And this is what Paul talks about in, beginning in verse 21. Notice he says, and you. He's talked about the way the cosmic forces of darkness are raging against Christ. He's talked about the way in which creation is groaning for Christ. And then he turns and says, and you. You personally. You. Notice he says, were once alienated. The word alienated means to be estranged, cut off from God. God is holy and God is righteous. And if you have ever sinned, you have cut yourself off from God. You have estranged yourself from God. You, in choosing to sin, have alienated, disfellowshipped yourself from God. That is who you are apart from Christ. 
You're an enemy of God, alienated from God. And then he continues the description here. He says, and you once were alienated. You were also, notice the word, hostile in mind. You can even translate this, you were in your thinking an enemy, an, an enemy in your thinking. You were anti-God in your thinking. Your disposition in the way that you saw the world around you, the way you thought about people, the way you thought about who you were in God's world, it was anti-God. It was against God. Rejecting God. You were an enemy of God in your thinking. And notice what this led to in verse 21. Doing evil deeds. Now, Evil here simply means to oppose what is right. But we know what is right is defined by God. God himself, who is holy and right, defines what is right. And so if you're opposing what is right, you're evil, you're opposing God. Again, you're anti-God. And in your sin, you are actually attacking what is right. God's holy character God reveals himself in the world through his law, through the way he designs things, and through order. And when you reject those things, you are assaulting what is good and right. You are assaulting God's character. And that's who you are apart from Christ. If you're not a believer here today in Christ, that's who you are. And those of you who have trusted Christ, that's who you were before Christ. To really have peace with God, you've got to understand that. The degree to which you will have peace with God is the degree to you really understand who you were apart from Christ. That you're going to enjoy this reconciliation with God. You've got to really understand, I once was alienated, hostile, evil, performing wickedness in the world. You were an enemy of God, alienated, hostile, assaulting God's character, the, rea- the reason that's so important is because so often we look at the world around us and we think of this kind of cosmic battle between good and evil. And over here, you know, we have Satan and the forces of darkness and they're evil and they're wicked. And then over here we have Jesus and the angels and they're good. And in the middle is me. I'm neutral. And they're fighting over me. And they're they're fighting for me. And I'm kind of neutral. Paul says, no. If you're a sinner, you have aligned yourself with the forces of darkness in opposition to Christ. Remember, last time we were in Colossians, Paul says, All things were created through, by, for. They come from Christ. He is what defines what is good, what is evil, what is right and wrong. And until you submit to Christ himself, you are against Christ. This is what Jesus said. If you're not for me, you're against me. You're not neutral. You are against Christ. And this is the description Paul has for all of us who are outside of Christ or who we were before Christ. This is who we were. You were against Christ who is to be supreme in all things. You didn't want him to be supreme in your life and you were against him. And the reality is before we get to the cross today, 
You will not be in awe of the cross of Christ until you are aghast of your sin against Christ. Until you are bewildered. Why would I oppose God's king? Until you are shocked. Why would I oppose God's king? And until you really come to terms with how bad it is or how bad it was, you will not delight in the cross of Christ. It'll just be another thing that you need in your life and you tack on to your life. But if you understand you're an enemy of Christ, the cross of Christ is all that more wonderful. And so today, think about Let's reflect on, before we move forward, that time in your life when you were without Christ. What were you like? What did you want? How did you think? What are the things that you did? Reflect on those things. And remember how appalling they were to the glory of Christ. Remember how the glory of Christ was just a nuisance to you. You were without Christ. You alienated yourself to your own little kingdom. And you lived in this facade of freedom and power. And you thought you were all that. And any mention of Jesus irritated you. Because that was a threat to your hobbies the relationships you wanted to have, the things that you wanted to do, the things you took pleasure in. I don't want to hear about Christ. And some of you here today came up with really, you thought, great reasons why none of this was true. Oh, that book's written by men. Look at all these Christians that are hypocrites. And you know today why you did that. It was so you could do whatever you wanted to do. And if I can deny this is true, I can be free. You are alienated and you are hostile to Christ. Whatever that looked like in your life. Now, some of you are here saying today, I wasn't assaulting the goodness of God in Jesus. Now, some of you say, yeah, that was me. I was rebellious. I hated Jesus. Some of you are here today and say, no, I grew up in church. I was a little Southern Baptist twit. I just told you, I I loved rules. Give me rules so I can follow them. Give me the Bible Drill Award. Give me the Awana badge. Give me the, the, the Sunday morning, Sunday school. Give me the worship service. Give me discipleship training. Give me another worship service. Give me visitation on Tuesday night. Give me mission friends on Wednesday night. Give me something to do with the youth group on Friday night. Give me something to do for Jesus, and I'll follow all of those rules. How in the world could that be an assault on Jesus? When so many of our lives, we replaced those things as Jesus. And we weren't trusting in Jesus. We were trusting in our own righteousness. No matter what it looked like, how good and pristine it looked like, before Christ, you were an enemy of God. That's why the next verse is so scandalous. Notice verse 22. We see the cross is real peace for real enemies. Notice, he is now reconciled. Those of you who understand this is who you were, an enemy of God, apart from God, assaulting Christ with your life, your thoughts, your actions, these are the people he has reconciled. 
Notice the text doesn't say the most godly, religious, culturally pristine people. That's who he reconciled. No, 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 no. It's those who were his enemies he is reconciled. And first of all, verse 22, he has done this. You didn't reconcile yourself to God. You didn't wake up one day in your hostile mind and go, you know what? I'm tired of fighting with Jesus. I think I'll follow him. No. He initiated this. Notice reconciliation. It means when two parties go from fighting at war and now there's peace, rest, and harmony. No more fighting. This is what God has done for his enemies. He has reconciled them. Romans 5.10 says, while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God. You didn't all of a sudden become friends and work it out. And Jesus didn't step into the situation and negotiate a peace deal. He didn't say, you know what? God's really mad at you for your sin. I think we need to have a meeting. And let's get together and work it out. Father, don't be so mad at them. Hey, quit being so sinful. Y'all work it out. No, you and your sin picked a fight with God, a fight you can't win, and a fight in which you are going to be destroyed and wiped out. And what Jesus does is he steps in and endures God's response to your sin. The Father is the one who sent him in love to do that, by the way. He is the one reconciling you to himself. But Jesus steps in and he endures God's response to the fight that you picked. And he endures God's fury for you, notice, in his body of flesh by his death. We talked about, we read the verse earlier, the fullness of God in Jesus took on flesh, dwelt in flesh. God was delighted for that to happen. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God in flesh and blood. And notice the culmination of him taking on flesh, is by his death. This is how he reconciled you to God. The culmination of him taking on flesh is a crucifixion where the Father turns his face away and unleashes God's just wrath upon him. The justice you deserve for your sin. Jesus is left forsaken at the cross. The fellowship between the Father and Son in some mysterious way turns from delight to judgment. The judgment you deserve for your sin at the cross. And this is how you're reconciled to God because if the judgment for your sin is paid for, now you can be at peace with God. But notice important here, he says, in his body of flesh by his death. Now, he's addressing the heresy in Colossae that we've talked about so often. They're into all of these spirits, all of these angels, and they begin to think, well, Jesus is just another spirit, an angel in a realm far, far away. And Paul says, no, he took on flesh and blood so he could really die in flesh and blood for your sin. Jesus of Nazareth was fully God in flesh and blood nailed to a cross at a point in time in human history. Now, why is that important? That this death of Christ was in flesh and blood, and it really happened on this planet at a point in time over 2,000 years ago. Why is that? It's because the peace that you need through his death is really real. It's flesh and blood real. 
It can really happen on this planet at this time in human history. It's flesh and blood peace. He emphasizes that because the peace that you can have with God is as real as the hair from Jesus' beard that was ripped from his face as he was humiliated as a clown king in the streets of Jerusalem. It's real. It really happened. Flesh and blood. It's as real as the heart that pumped the blood that spilled out when he was pierced. His flesh was pierced and blood spilled out. The peace that you can have with God is that real, as real as the flesh and blood that you are seated in right now. It's as real as the lungs that deflated on the cross as the tendons in his arms and shoulders stretched to the point he could not hold himself up any longer. And he suffocated. It is real. It really happened. That is the peace that is being achieved for you. The agony, the distress, the lack of peace, the war, the hostility that Jesus really endured in flesh and blood achieves for you real flesh and blood peace. As real as the vocal cords that shrieked out, why are you forsaking me? And it is finished. Jesus came in flesh and blood to really die, to really give you peace. The peace that you can have with God, it's not in some bank account far, far away in heaven that one day you may be able to tap into. No, it's as real as the anxiety that churns in your gut right now as you think about what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. It's as real as you think about those fears you have to face at work. It's as real as the lack of peace that you have right now. It's flesh and blood peace. But notice he has reconciled us at the cross and there's purpose to that. The cross is real peace for real enemies and the cross gives us eternal peace. Notice, to reconcile us in his body of flesh in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Notice the purpose here. The purpose of the cross is to present. Notice that word, present. The purpose to present, to offer you as the finished work of the cross before God. He, he dies for your sin, and that's not the end of the story. There's more coming. He does away with your sin at the cross so that one day you would be offered to God totally blameless. In some sense, the cross is the apex. In some sense, the cross is just the beginning of your forgiveness. And it will be consummated in righteousness. Notice how it's described here. That you would be holy and blameless and above reproach. And this is why you can have a peaceful standing before God. The cross purchases it. Because apart from Christ, you are unholy. Apart from Christ, you are impure. Apart from Christ, you are condemned and guilty, deserving judgment. And here's the reality. God will not accept you just the way you are. He doesn't, and he will not. He won't. He won't just look past your sin. I love you just the way that you are. No, he loves you enough to make you like Jesus so that he can love you even more. 
in Christ. God doesn't accept us just the way we are, but he can't reject Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews says that at the cross, here's what's going on in heaven. That is, Jesus is offering his body of flesh and he is enduring the wrath of God for you in the heavenlies. Now, I believe this happens as the three days that Jesus is in the ground. I believe Jesus is literally in heaven offering his blood before the Father at the altar of God in the throne room of heaven. Now, what does it mean him offering his blood? Well, he's offering his sacrifice as payment for your sin. He's also offering his perfect life that will cover your life of sin. He's offering his blood before the Father as payment for your sin. You who are unholy, impure, and guilty, he is before the Father saying, here is holy blood. Here is a holy, blameless life. Here is a life that doesn't deserve to be condemned except my life for their sin. He is presenting us to God as perfect in his blood. And by his blood, we are then set apart. The word holy means to be set apart to God. In the Old Testament, things and people were often covered in blood to say that they were set apart to God's holiness, to God only. And what that meant is something had died, a penalty for sin had been paid, And so this person, this thing, this object of worship was covered in blood to say it is pure of sin and it can be wholly used by God now. That's you because of the blood of Christ. You are holy in Christ. You're set apart to God's authority, to his rule. Notice the word blameless. It means pure and innocent without spot. On the cross, Jesus is the one who became guilty so that you could be declared not guilty. By the blood of Christ, you are declared not guilty. You are holy. You are not guilty. And notice the word above reproach. It means no accusation against you. Jesus took all the accusations that God rightly had against you for your sin, and he endured your sin so that you could stand before God now and say, there is no condemnation for me because of the blood of Christ. And notice he adds this, before him. That's so important here because God is holy and righteous and no sinner and no man should be in his sight without being wiped out by his holy wrath. And yet in Christ, who has already been wiped out by his wrath, you can stand before him, holy, blameless, and above reproach, covered in his blood, covered in his life, covered in his death, a peaceful standing before God. The cross has purchased you this peace before God. And we also see here, notice the way this is phrased, in order to present. There's something future coming. The cross has purchased this peace, but the cross is also a promise for this peace. Understand, Jesus didn't die just to get you off the hook for your sin. He died to do away with your sin. And that will be a reality for every believer in here. The cross will make you who were once inherently wicked, completely righteous one day before God. Can you imagine a day when you don't struggle with sin? 
Can you imagine a day where you can be in the presence of God and not worried about hiding things from Him? Not having to say, as so many of us do, I'm sorry, I, I can't believe I said that, I can't believe I did that. For those who are trusting in the blood of Christ that's been purchased for you, you will one day be without your sin. The things that you hate most about yourself will be wiped away. And, and we know this, the foundation of the gospel is for those who believe in Christ, these things are reality for us now before God. There's an already not yet component to the gospel, right? That when you believe in Christ, you are already justified before. He, he already accepts the blood of Christ for you when you believe in him. That's already true of you. You are declared not guilty. You are declared righteous before God. But then we see here there's a not yet in heaven that what God has declared about me, that I am whole, holy, blameless, above reproach in Christ, righteous, that one day will be experienced in reality. There's an already, that's already true of you, but that will be a reality for you when you stand before God in heaven. And some of us have to believe that today. We have to believe that God's not going to accept us into heaven just as kind of toleration. It's not like you're going to show up and you're going to say, I guess I, let, I guess I got to let you in. Jesus died for you. What else am I going to do? He's just sort of tolerating you like that dinner guest your wife invites over and you're thinking, they don't even like sports. What are we going to talk about? I can't wait till they leave. That's not the way God's going to think about you in heaven. He's going to be delighted that you're there. Happy. And if that is a reality for you right now in the throne room of God, you need to act like it now. That is the call of the gospel. So you should approach him in prayer, understanding he's not just tolerating you. You should come before him in worship, knowing that he is glad you're here and he's singing over you. You're not trying to work up something today. Maybe he'll be proud of me. Maybe he'll be happy with me. No, right now he's happy with you because of the blood of Christ. And so live like it. Live in the joy of the gospel. Heaven is not going to be God just trying to kind of get over your sin. I remember what you did. Now I'm going to look the other way. I'll try not to bring it up. It's not you're going to get to some point in heaven. You're going to say something you shouldn't say. And God's going to say, yep, and you always do that. That's the way you always are. You have an 80-year track record of being good at sinning. That's not, that's not what heaven's going to be like. And for the believer, that's not how your life should be like now. Even when you come before him to confess sin, God's not going, yep, I knew it, did it again. No, when you come to say, God, I have sinned, and I'm asking you to forgive me of your sin, God's saying, yes, yes, I will forgive you of your sin because of the blood of Christ. Why else would I have sent Christ to die for your sin? Yes, I will forgive you. The fellowship will be restored the cross will not be rendered useless, so do not render it useless now in your life. When you think about God and you think about his disposition towards you, what do you think about? The blood of Christ says he loves you and he delights in you. You're covered in the blood, the life and death of Christ. And notice this becomes a reality for us, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, there is a contingency here 
that we're going to talk about. If indeed you continue in the faith, and then he describes faith as stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which is proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which Paul, I, Paul, became a minister. Notice this piece is contingent. If you surely continue in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. You see, gospel inherently is an announcement of good news. It's it's, an, it's where we get the word evangelism, to herald or declare or announce the good news of Jesus Christ. And we can think about the scene where there is trumpets blare, and then there is, hear ye, hear ye, all hell King Jesus. VBS, if you were here for that. But, but the king is here and he's got something to say. Gospel good news is this. He's come and he's died for your sins and he's defeated death. And he offers you an eternal kingdom where you can have your sins forgiven and you can live before him in joy and rule and reign with him forever. Good news. Hear this good news. Believe this good news. And Paul says this good news is preached in all of creation. In Colossians, he'll talk about how it's proclaimed at the cross when Jesus dies for sin and the resurrection, when he declares the forces of darkness that he is king and it's being declared by the church from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. This gospel lives and breathes on planet earth as the church proclaims it. But notice this, you can have peace with God as long as you continue to cling to this gospel. Notice how faith is described here. It's stable, it's steadfast. It's not shifting. We might summarize that by saying, you will have peace with God as long as your faith is anchored in the gospel. It's anchored in the gospel. It's rooted in the gospel and only the gospel. One of the things Paul is pointing to here is genuine faith is not momentary, but it's not generic either. You trust in Christ the moment you are saved, the moment you walked an aisle, the moment you prayed with the campus minister, the moment you, you said, I'm going to trust in Christ alone for salvation, you, you believed in that gospel, that faith continues from that point until the heart monitor is beeping. That's what genuine faith looks like, continuing to cling to the gospel. And Paul's point here is genuine faith doesn't turn from Christ to anything else. Do anything else. It doesn't try to replace Christ. And so some of you are asking in this moment, will I lack peace before God if I stop believing the gospel? Will I lack peace before God if I stop believing the gospel? If I deny Jesus, if I turn away from all of this, if I say it's not true, even though I went through these motions, will I lack peace before God? Yes, you will. So don't do that. Don't stop believing in Jesus. Don't stop believing in Jesus. But genuine faith doesn't stop believing in Jesus. It can't stop believing in Jesus. It won't stop believing in Jesus. Jesus tells a parable of the soils. He says the gospel is preached and falls on all kinds of different 
kinds of soil. Some of it is hard. Some of it is rocky. Sometimes Satan comes in and he grabs the gospel before it takes root. And he describes what belief can look like as the gospel is preached. Some people believe it's emotion, emotion or response and it's only in the moment. They go through suffering, hard times. They prove they don't really believe. The pleasures of this world steal them away. But what he's saying is you can look at a lot of belief and it's not real belief. And the reality is, belief that turns into unbelief wasn't belief in Jesus to begin with. I want you to get that. Because some of you are going to go from this moment to next Sunday, and it's going to be a week-long critique of your faith. Notice here, faith is not the anchor. Your faith isn't what saves you. Jesus saves you. Your faith is anchored, steadfast, stable in Jesus, who is the anchor. So don't go this week critiquing your faith. Is it strong enough? Oh, I have some doubts. No, just keep believing in Jesus. The object of your faith that saves is Jesus. You know, faith sometimes is it's like a tattered thread that's just kind of hanging It's just hanging there. Hopefully it's hanging to the rock who is Christ. Sometimes it's, I believe, please Jesus, help my unbelief. But I do believe. You're going to have doubts. You're going to have fears. So what should you do if that's you? Keep believing in Jesus. Don't believe in yourself. Don't believe in anything else. Believe in Jesus. Turn from yourself to Jesus. You're going to wonder, is this true? What the Bible teaches, is it true? Does God really love me? Am I just wasting my time with all of this? I've had those thoughts in my own life, by the way. And what do you do? Don't turn from Jesus. Keep clinging to him. He's perfect. You're not perfect. So your faith won't be perfect. Just have faith in Jesus who is perfect. And so if you're here today, keep believing in him. Maybe you're going through some testing and you're trying to look for something else to find peace in your life and you're doubting, is God really good? Look to the cross, he's good. Look to the cross, he's good. Maybe you're doubting because there's sin in your life and it's haunting you. It follows you around. It's here this morning. How in the world could I come to church? The things that I've done. Stop looking at your sin and look to Jesus. Right now, look to Jesus. Trust in him. Cling to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't have assurance. I don't do enough. I'm not good enough. Stop looking at yourself and look to Jesus. Notice the requirement is faith. It's not being good enough. He doesn't say you'll have peace if you are clinging and good enough and obedient. The requirement is faith. Grab Christ, cling to him, hold on to him, keep believing. You know what? You don't have to go to school scared tomorrow. I don't have to go to work scared tomorrow. Reality is, 
you could end up in the presence of God tomorrow. And if you're clinging to Christ, you can sit down at his table with peace. Let's pray.